Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to Bible Time with Pastor Brian. So this is your host, obviously, uh, Pastor Brian, and I'm so excited to be with you guys here again today um, as we continue our study here through Galatians 5.22. And I just want to give a quick shout out and a thank you uh, to everybody that has shared my podcast and listened to it and um, recommended it to other people. Uh, I can't thank you enough uh, for doing that, and I'm so thankful that I've got some people out there that are listening to me and praying for me. And hopefully, uh, my sincere and dearest hope with all of this is that you guys um, would learn something and that I would be able to bring God the glory through my teaching. And I thank you guys for joining me um, here today again. So we continue our uh, march through Galatians 5.22, and we're moving on to the next word that is mentioned there, and that is peace. So according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, the word Irene, which is the word that's used for peace there, means peace between individuals or harmony. Now, it shows up a few other times in the Gospels and other writings, uh, specifically ones of Paul. It pops up a lot, uh, but we'll get into those as we as we get there. First one that it pops up in is Matthew 10, 34, where Jesus is telling his disciples that he didn't come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. Jesus came to reconcile sinners to God and bring his peace to them, not to create harmony and peace with the sins of mankind. Then Luke 12:51 is the companion passage to Matthew 10:34 that also describes uh, that's the same thing, but instead of saying a sword, it says division instead. But you might think, isn't division a bad thing? More on that later. Division within God's family, which his, is his church, is bad. Division between his church and the world is necessary. Moving on to Acts chapter 7, verse 26, the KJV says one again in this passage, while the NASB, which is the passage, not passage, which is the uh, translation, excuse me, that I use more often than not, it says peace. And both of these mean peace between individuals, like the word that's there, uh, like we mentioned a second ago with the definition from Thayer's. Then this comes from Stephen's discussion of Israel's history. You're probably very familiar with it. Um, he ends up being executed by the authorities not too long after that. But that's where that comes from. Then in Romans 14, 17, Paul describes God's kingdom as being more than eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians seven fifteen is a highly debated verse that I will not be getting into today. Um, if you wanted to go read it for yourself, you can. But it is one that is highly debated amongst many, many Christians today. And it has been debated for quite some time now. But I'm just not wanting to get into that today. And it just contains a reminder of our call to peace in Christ. Um, that specific verse does. At least the part of it that we were wanting to focus on. Ephesians 2.17, the preaching of peace is of Christ. And then fast forwarding a little bit to Ephesians 4.13, or not 4.13, 4.3, the bond of peace. Uh, Christians are knit together in love and held together by a bond of peace with their brothers and their sisters. So I promised you a couple minutes ago that we would do a little bit deeper dive into the word division that pops up in Luke 12.51. So that word is diamerismas, and that just means disunion or dissension comes from diameridzo, which is to be divided into opposing parts. And if you read verse 52, right after that in Luke chapter 12, you'll see that word pop up. And dissensions, um, we talked about that with the deeds of the flesh, right? Uh, a couple, a few, not, not a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now. 
and the word dissension was something that popped up. And that word is dicastasia or dicastasia. And so it shows you that there's two different ver- or two different words going on here. With the second one um, being translated to dissensions can mean dissension or division. In the King James Version, I actually kind of like the way that they translate it a little bit better. Um, that's just me, I guess. They use the word seditions um, in the KJV to give you this mental disconnect between what Jesus is saying in Matthew and in Luke and then what Paul is mentioning to the Galatians about deeds of the flesh. So seditions themselves are just rebellions against order. And I think that's a better usage of the word personally. And continuing on, Jesus is not saying back in Matthew and in Luke that that he is there to cause something that he later tells Paul or has Paul tell the Galatians not to do. He has come to bring God's kingdom, Jesus has, and the message of repentance to sinners. Those who reject will not be included. Thereby comes the sword analogy of being, you know, kind of split in two there. And Jesus is not there to do these two things. He's not there to cause conflict, nor is he there to create chaos. He is there to bring the message of God's peace to sinners and to unify his followers in their love for him and their love for each other. Taking these two things into account, Jesus is not there to bring peace on earth as in an end to human conflicts and struggles. One day he will do that. That will happen one day. But that is not why he was there then. He is there at the time to bring a sword to divide the whole of the human race, separating those who trust in him from those who do not, allowing them to have the bond of peace from Ephesians 4.3. And you know, that is something that um, I do believe a lot of people lose when they're studying the Gospels, is that they, they hear the angelic decree at Jesus' birth of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then they read the passages here in Matthew and in Luke where Jesus says, oh, I've not come to bring peace on earth. It's like, well, didn't the angel just say that you were going to do that? And yes, the angel did say that he was going to do that. But the peace that Jesus is bringing to earth is not the same peace that the earthly, fleshly, temporally minded people of his day would have thought that he would be bringing. He's not bringing it into human conflict. He's not bringing a reconciliation between his people and people that are unrepentant. He's bringing God's peace to those who accept him. He's bringing that peace of God's reconciliation of their sins. And that's not the same as just peace and quiet and no wars and things like that. But one day those things will happen. One day the end of all those things will come. And what a glorious day that will be when that happens. But Jesus wasn't there at the moment to do so. It was not his goal. And that's why he said his goal is to bring a sword. He's dividing people between those that follow him and those that don't. And it's a very simple division there. And then moving on to just this whole idea of peace in a couple other places that it pops up. That whole idea of peace was used by the ancient Greeks and others, not just the ancient Greeks, but the ancient Greeks specifically, um, to give kind of a good greeting or a good header to a letter in kind of a similar way that the Jews would use the word shalom or that we would use, I don't know, hey, how's it going? What's up? Uh, Try to think of some good examples there. But kind of along those same lines, 
a lot of times we ask that question, hey, how are you doing? And we're not expecting a whole two-hour conversation about how that person is doing. We're expecting, oh, I'm doing pretty good, or, oh, things are going okay, something along those lines. And it's kind of a formality where people would do that. You're genuinely wishing good upon that person uh, when you say things, when you start off a letter by, by proclaiming peace towards them and everything. But it's, it's a nice, friendly thing to do. It was very traditionally friendly. And Paul's writing to a bunch of Greek people. And if you don't realize that... In his writings, in his letters, he's writing to churches that are majority Gentile. They are filled full of people that are Greeks first, in most cases. And this is a very, very familiar way that they would have understood letter writing. When they were receiving a letter, they would have anticipated it beginning with some type of greeting, some type of um, proclamation of peace towards that person. And... Paul opens up his letter not just with the word peace, but also with the word grace. And so the words that are used there are charis and irene, which is the same peace that we're talking about here in Galatians 5.22. And those two words specifically show up in the following verses. And I'm going to bombard you with a bunch, but kind of giving you a picture of this. Romans 1.7, 1 Corinthians 1.3, 2 Corinthians 1.2. Galatians 1.3, Ephesians 1.2, Philippians 1.2, Colossians 1.2, 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, 2 Thessalonians 1.2, 1, 1 Timothy 1.2, 2 Timothy 1.2, Titus 1.4, and then Philemon verse 3. Paul and Timothy are using this whole idea of grace and peace, and all of these include some type of form of from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can go look at all of those that I just mentioned. And they all start off with that same grace and peace and then include something about Jesus and God the Father as being the source of that peace. It was very common in ancient texts to do this, uh, to mention this at the opening of a letter, and to invoke it from some type of deity or higher power. So like I said, the Greeks would have been very familiar with this idea. So when Paul is writing to these people, it's some something that they're familiar with. Paul wants people to realize, though, that there is none higher than Christ, and it is in his name that Paul is writing these things, and it is in his name that he is um, wishing this peace and grace to be upon them, um, not from Zeus or whoever you want to toss in there, but from Almighty God through Jesus Christ, his Son, is who Paul is proclaiming this to them through. This peace that's in Galatians 5.22 is part of evidence in the life and work of those who claim Christ. Because peace is important, you know, what things do you have to avoid if you're going to live a peaceful life? One of them is discord, um, causing divisions, and not good types of divisions. Because think about it this way. Divisions can sometimes be a good thing. Imagine you have a bowl full of bananas, and you have five really good bananas. They're still great. But then you have one in the middle that is just completely rotten. What do you do? Do you leave the rotten one there because you're afraid to hurt its feelings? Or do you take that banana out and throw it away so that the other ones can remain well and remain good for a little bit longer? Hopefully you pick the second option because, well, for one, bananas don't have feelings. And two, you want to spare the other bananas. And so division in that case was a good thing. When it comes to our walk with Christ, division can be good if it's used properly. 
Now, when I'm saying division, I'm not talking about causing strife and malice and discord and all that type of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about separating people, separating ideas and ideologies, removing that. If you do those things but in an agitated, frustrated, angry, bitter, hateful way, that's sowing discord, and you don't want to do that. You want to still sow peace even in the midst of divisions. You want to have that spirit and that fruit about you even if you're having to cut somebody out of your life, even if you're having to tell someone that they need to find somewhere else to go to church because that is our job, that is our task as Christians is we are to love each other, we're to be gracious, we're to be merciful, we're to be loving with each other. But part of all of those things part of loving somebody, part of caring or caring about them is when you notice and address the fact that they are unrepented, they're living in a way that is contrary to the gospel and they continuously refuse to acknowledge that and repent and uh, seek help in order to be better, there comes a point where you, you have to let them go. You don't stop loving them, you don't stop caring for them, but you do have to let them go for the better of the body and for the for the better of that person in the long run. And because maybe that, that might be the wake-up call that they need to say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that that's how far I'd fallen. And then agitation is another one. I kind of threw it in there with Discord a little bit. But agitation is one that can't happen if you have peace in your life and that if peace is being produced from the Holy Spirit. Agitation happens. We get frustrated at things. That that does occur, and there's no way around that um, with us as human beings. But you can't stay in those feelings of agitation. You can't let those fester into just hatred or bitterness or resentment towards a brother or a sister in Christ, or just towards anybody for that matter. You can't let that happen. And then hate is another thing. Christians should not hate people, shouldn't hate anyone. We should love one another as Christ loved us, and we are to share that same love with this world around us. And it's hard to do that if you hate people. So you can't you can't hate people. And I want to give you a word of encouragement, because we live in a world today that tells you that if you disagree with what they're doing, you don't love them. That you seek out their destruction or their oppression if you don't agree with what they're doing. And I would protest that that is not accurate, not in the slightest bit. I would argue that it's actually more loving than not saying anything at all. Because if we're being honest as Christians and we truly believe the truth of the gospel as it is, then why in the world would we not want to share it with other people? Since we have mankind's only hope resting within the gospel that has been imparted to us through Jesus Christ, why should we not want to share that with people? Why should we not want to tell people and encourage people and show people how they can know Jesus? But see, before somebody comes to know Jesus, they have to understand that the life that they're living is not one that's sustainable. It might be for the time that they're here on earth, that might be 60, 70, 80, 100 years for all they know. But it's not sustainable eternally. Eventually, that life will end. And when that life ends, where will they be? And that's a choice that they have to make. That's a decision they have to come to. 
And it is up to us to show them the truth. It's up to us to share the gospel with them. Can we save them? No. We can't save anybody. Shoot, I couldn't even save myself. But we can't save them. So what's the point? The point is, they need to hear the truth of the gospel. You let the Lord do the work. You let the Holy Spirit work within them and convict them and to show them. But see, in order to do that, they have to hear the gospel. They got to know the truth. And the ones that have that responsibility and that duty, that's us. That's us. Frustration is another one that happens a lot, especially in cases when you're trying to share the gospel with someone, whether they be a Christian or not. And we as Christians, I think, need to do better about being gospel-minded towards each other, not just towards lost people. Because yes, the gospel does contain the hope of mankind through Jesus Christ and through what he did, but that doesn't mean that we still stop focusing on it after we become Christians. We should focus on even more after we become Christians. We should use it to encourage each other and to show each other when, you know, we make mistakes and we start thinking or believing or acting in a way that's contrary to God's word. We should be able to tell each other that. We should be able to share that with brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, sometimes when that comes around, you're going to have aggressive disagreements. And, disagreements themselves are not bad things. Hear me out. Disagreements are not bad things by themselves. But when you allow yourself to become so enamored with that disagreement that you start scheming against that person, you start seeking out ways to destroy their arguments or destroy their beliefs that they have, and you start constructing ways to just absolutely wreck this person, that is aggressive, and that is wrong to do it that way. Allow the truth of the gospel to shine through. And, you know, there are some issues that are secondary, and I'll get to that here in a second, and they need to remain that way. But, like I said, I'll get to that in a second. Those things that I mentioned, discord, agitation, hate, frustration, aggressive disagreement, those are to be avoided amongst the brethren and with others. If you look at Romans 12, 18, you, you see this the same idea being played out, not just towards the brothers in Christ, but also towards people around you, where Paul tells the church at Rome that if, um, if at all possible, live peaceably with all men, doesn't say with all men within the church, nor does it say with all men that you like. It says with all men to live peaceably with them, if at all possible. But one thing I want to caution you with, peace does not always equal calmness. Because sometimes peace has to be fought for, and it requires a firm stand on the truth. I promised you a second ago we'd talk a little bit more about disagreements. They happen, but you have to remember to disagree with grace and with love. And you know, that's something that we could all work on, isn't it? disagreeing with people in le- in love and in grace because disagreements like i said they're going to happen you're if you have ever met somebody other than yourself you've disagreed with them on something but learn how to do so in a loving and gracious manner just just shining through this um character of christ through your actions where even if you look at somebody and think you know what i really don't like their interpretation of that i think it's wrong As long as they are solid on the major issues of Scripture, and you might disagree with them on secondary ones, 
Remember to keep the secondary ones secondary and the primary ones primary. And in order to find which ones are which, use discernment, use study, and seek counsel. Don't don't just think of it like think of it on your own where you're like, oh, it is a primary issue of the gospel for people to love sweet tea. Because God said that you're supposed to, to love all good things and um, sweet tea is a good thing. So because of that, if you don't love sweet tea, you can't be a Christian. See, I wouldn't even consider that a secondary issue. That is so far down the totem pole that it's not even a secondary problem. And I love sweet tea. Don't get me wrong. It's what runs through my veins pretty obviously. But it's not something that's a major issue. Now, I use a funny, fanciful example, but so often we throw things just as silly and frivolous into that where we think that so many things are so important and yet they're not not as important as we think they are anyway and it's on those secondary issues that most people disagree on because the vast majority of people that claim christ ought to hold to the same core primary things jesus is the son of god there is a trinity he was born of a virgin he lived a sinless life he physically truthfully died and three days later he rose from the grave victorious for our salvation for victory over death hell and the grave and he ascended to the father he appeared to the disciples before that he gave them a commission to go throughout this world and to carry the gospel if you believe that that is the primary heart of the gospel of jesus christ that is the primary part of the gospel anything else that we try to add to it is just secondary so be cautious and be warned about that and so another thing that i thought of too when i was doing the study was that worry and anxiety are things that pop up as well when it comes to this whole issue of peace you know it's natural to worry and be anxious but we cannot be consumed with being anxious and I like to keep in my mind this idea that there is a healthy type of anxiety and there is an unhealthy type of anxiety. And I'll give you one of the rare personal stories on my account here. When I first started preaching, I was, I was pretty young. I was about 18 years old when I started preaching. And I say, I say pretty young. I'm still pretty young compared to a lot of other people. Or a lot of people would think I'm pretty young. But... I started preaching when I was around 18 years old. And I remember I was preaching this service at the church I grew up in. It's long after we had left there. But I was preaching this sermon. And right before I was set to get up there, there were a couple older pastors there, other older preachers. And there was, in particular, this one um, evangelist that, let's see, this had to have been back in 2014 or so when this happened. And this man was probably about 80 or so in that moment. So, um... I haven't heard anything from him since then. So maybe he's still alive, maybe he's not, but that's not the point of the story. And I was sitting there on the front pew, and I was holding the Bible in my hands. And I, I put the Bible on my lap, and I had I was holding my own hands. And I was just kind of, you know, nervously just working my hands around each other. And that old preacher wrapped his arm around me, and he said, Buddy, are you nervous? And I, I just kind of shook my head. I said, yeah, yes, sir, I'm nervous. And he looked at me dead in the face, and he said, good. Because, buddy, you handle in the word of truth, the word of God. And that ought to make you nervous. 
And I've thought about that ever since. It's something that I still believe to this day. That holding God's word is a serious business. And it should be respected as being God's word. And it's something that I try to remember every time that I preach, every time that I teach, every time that I do anything that involves me talking or sharing scripture, is that I'm so conscientious about being careful about handling it because it is the word of God. Those words that are contained in those books, they speak life into a dead world. They are a light shining in the darkness. And I want to give it the best justice that I can in every opportunity that I have. And am I perfect at it? Absolutely not. I'm still a work in progress, but that's what I'm working towards is to give the Bible the respect that it deserves. And it's something that I believe every pastor, preacher, teacher, whoever that is sharing the gospel with people or just talking about other Bible stories with people, that they would be just as careful as I am with that. And that's that's a little bit of anxiety. I always have uh, nervous feelings when I'm about to get up to preach or to teach. And I hope I never lose that. I hope I never lose the ability to be humble about the gospel because part of that for me is being anxious about it. So anxiety can be a good thing if it's done in a healthy way. But if you take it to an unhealthy extent, it can be absolutely destructive on your esteem, on your witness. And that's why we're supposed to be careful because when we spend so much time frustrated and worried and anxious about things that we let that kind of take the directive in our life, we end up not trusting in the Lord as much as we should. We end up not leaning on Him and the truth that He has imparted to us through Scripture. And because of that, I do believe that we as a people entirely need to be better about being at peace with what we're going through of taking those things to the Lord, even if we don't understand why we're going through them, but bringing them to Him and trusting that He knows what He's doing. Because I'll fill you in on a secret, and it's not really a secret at all. He does know, and He does understand what you're going through. He sees it. He knows it. He's been with you through this whole thing. Keep leaning on Him and keep trusting in Him in everything that you do. And see, if you do that, if you lean on him and you trust in him and you live your life according to his word and through the produce, the fruit of his spirit that comes out of you, you will have peace. And it'll be a peace that no one or nothing else can give you or can take away. It is a peace that comes from God Almighty and he alone sustains it and provides it. And it is in him alone that you can find it. God in heaven, as we come before you today, we're so honored and so blessed and thankful for this day that you've given us and for this wonderful scripture that you've allowed us to study here today. And this concept of peace, God, that so often we forsake and we neglect. I pray, God, that you would help us embrace that, embrace being at rest and at peace with whatever situations may come our way. And I pray, God, that you would give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom in order to do so. I ask you to go with each and every person that's listened to this podcast and even those that haven't. I pray, God, that you would just continue to speak and work in great and mighty ways according to your plan and purpose, because I know that you will. And Lord, I ask that if it be in that plan and purpose, that you'd bring us back here again 
next time to study your word in spirit and in truth. We love you, and God, we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you all again, and I'll see you next week.